Hi, I'm Jamie, and I am the creator of One World, Your Story, where we bring people together. And right now, we need this more than ever. The murder of George Floyd, the latest of countless Black Americans to be murdered at the hands of police in America, has set off a chain reaction across the United States. People are angry, people are hurt, and rightfully so. We cannot stand by and allow this to continue any longer. It's time to use our voices and bring this conversation out into the open for good. So join us for this episode of The Floyd Files. Let's not be afraid to acknowledge the privileges that we do have. And instead of being ashamed of them, let's see how we can use them to help other people. Here awesome. we go. So let's get started. So um, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Jamie. Um, here with Mr. Joe Buckner, who I am beyond excited to speak to. This is actually the first time we've met uh, just five yeah. minutes ago, chatted a little bit online, but I've researched a little bit about you and so inspired from what I've already seen. And if you've seen the blurb here, um, Joe, you have an interesting story. I know you said if going to ask you what the hardest part about your childhood was, you couldn't even pick one part because it just wasn't great in general. Um, and here you are now, <laughs> the shirt you're wearing is so perfect. Um, <laughs> a business owner, you've given a TED talk, um, you came from a bout of homelessness and here you are now. So let me give you an opportunity to give yourself a little introduction if you'd like, if there's anything that I missed that you wanna fill in gaps um, and then we'll dig right in. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm from Fort Collins, Colorado, which is where I'm at currently. Um, father, son, friend, business owner, CEO, and all around okay guy, I think. I'm just trying to make the next <laughs> right decision and leave people in places better than I found them through you know, no fault of anyone else's. I made some poor decisions in my life. I ended up in the criminal justice system frequently, resulting in a trip to the Department of Corrections in 2005. Again, totally my fault. So if it's my fault to get in, it's my fault, it's my duty to get out, which I did. And then in 2013, I ended up homeless. I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version. Ended up homeless for a little while in a city that I was once a star. Again, made a decision to never feel like that again. So worked hard to not be homeless anymore. Two years later, was a six plus figure earner. Year after that, I started my own business. And now I get to do cool stuff like this and talk to rad humans like you and stay in really rad places like this and my life is pretty cool yeah okay like where do we even begin um okay i know where i want to begin and it's so interesting because joe i had a project called the how are you really project and it was all designed to get around getting people to really actually give a shit and mean it when you ask the question how are you rather than just the greeting and you know the typical response i'm fine so let's yeah. not do that i want to know joe How's your heart? Oh, good one. <laughs> um, you taught me that. You didn't yeah. even know it, but you taught me that. How's your heart today? You know, my heart is uh, asymmetrical. It's, you know, optimistic and excited about the things I personally have going on, but my heart breaks for the world right now. Um, I don't exactly know why. But this Elijah McClain thing, like even just saying his name, like almost brings me to tears. Like that situation of all of them 
is just breaking my heart every single day. And I feel helpless because I feel like no matter how much we scream and shout, nothing's gonna be done. Um, I wish that I could do more for the world, but I understand that I can only focus on taking care of my little corner of the world. But man, you know, it's hard to be in a place where even just sharing what's going on in your life always feels like you're flexing because there's a lot of cool stuff happening. But then to look and see all the crappy things that are happening and to just be troubled of like not being able to fix it. So my heart is, it's, it's so, so. I so get that. Anytime somebody asks me, how am I? Or uh, to your point, how's your heart? Which by the way, I think is such a beautiful question because to your point, what you were saying on your video, which by the way, I'll check him out on Instagram um, for some very inspiring videos at Mr. Joe Buckner. You said it kind of like makes you stop and pause and you really have to think about it a little bit more. Check in with yourself. It, it immediately creates a space of vulnerability, um, which leads to connection. So yeah, a heart is heavy, but also even thinking about the question, how are you? It's weird because like I'm having these conversations that are sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes heavy, sometimes inspiring, no matter what they light me up because they're so important and building this company. So on the one hand, like I'm awesome. And on the other hand, yeah, there's this heaviness, such an, an overwhelm and trauma that people are dealing. So, but it all can exist at the same time. I think we have to recognize that too. Um, Agreed. What about Elijah McClain? I hear you on that and here we're in Colorado. This happened in Aurora, which by the way, that's where I grew up. Um, very happy that it's getting national attention, that he is getting national attention right now. Um, what about that situation for you though, in particular? Um, man, um, you know, I'm, I'm eight, an Enneagram. And so fighting for other people is a big deal to me. And I just imagine this poor kid just helpless and not understanding what's happening to him and why he's being assaulted and still exuding like love and kindness to these people that are hurting him. And, um, you know, I've got a son who's 20 years old and I get what people are saying about looting and rioting, but I'm going to tell you right now, if that was my son, I'd burn that piece to the ground and anyone that had anything to do with it until someone stopped me. And so I just, I guess I, I hear. I just hear my own boy saying those words and just trying to like continue to show kindness so these people will stop hurting him. And they refused. Like his life wasn't worth anything to them. He wasn't like fighting them. He was literally telling them like, you're beautiful. You're powerful. Like. I, I didn't do anything wrong. I'll do anything if you just stop hurting me. And they were, they like, hey, his life was worth nothing. And those are probably some of the people that wanted Mike Vick to go to prison for dog fighting. It's amazing. Sorry. Um, do not apologize at all. Um, and thank you for sharing yourself so vulnerably. Yeah. There is like this complete disregard for life. And you did hear this love and innocence. It doesn't make sense. No. 
doesn't make sense. You know, what else doesn't make sense? And I'm going to switch gears a lot here, Joe, because we have a lot to cover. I'm good. I'm good. When you were talking, when I was hearing your story, I don't know how old it was. How old were you when the guy asked you, hey, you're black. Do you know anyone I can get drugs from? I mean, that was 19 years ago. So I was 26 years old. You're 26 years old. And it really, it was that blunt, just like that. That blunt at the drinking fountain at American Furniture Warehouse. Yeah. Had you ever had an experience like that blatant, like, I'm going to ask you this literally just because of the color of your skin? I just, I probably had, but growing up in a place where the African-American population is like 0.1%, I think, I probably just brushed it off as, you know, a joke or something. I, I shared something on my Facebook a few weeks ago, this beautifully written piece by this man about his friend Roy, who was the sole black kid that he grew up with and how, you know, looking back on it, you know, he was the butt of their jokes and like they did things that they didn't know were racist. And he just went along with it because he was the only one. So it, was it the first time? Probably not. It's probably just the one that sticks out in my mind the most as an adult man, because that one question changed the trajectory of my life forever. I mean, completely changed the trajectory of your life. So can you talk about that moment a little bit for people that are watching that don't know you at all and haven't seen that? What sure. happened? And like, who were you in that moment? What was your life about? And and by the way, did you grow up in Fort Collins? I did. I okay. Did. You're born and raised Fort Collins. Very interesting. But totally different perspective than, I mean, this is a huge, yeah. massive country. Anyway. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Let's hear about that story. <laughs> like, um, there's so many directions, Joe. You know, at that time, I was a couple years out of school. I played, you know, football all the way through college, and um, I was just doing what I did best. If you're good with people, generally, folks push you into sales, and I was good at sales because I love helping people, not because I'm like slick talking, but I just love serving. And so at the time I was just a regular 26 year old, you know, I had a pretty good life, you know, two income household, you know, both of us made really good money. I was just not aware that that ever elusive American dream wasn't as far away as I thought it was. When you, you can't aspire to something you've never seen. So if you don't grow up around people that own homes or go to college or do any of those things, you don't understand that that's a way to get to where you're trying to go. So you think, well, my NFL dream didn't work out. So me becoming a millionaire is not going to happen unless I figure out a way to do that. And you also believe that that's the only way to do it. You don't realize that oftentimes millionaires are people that make 60, 70, 80, hundred thousand dollars a year, but are just really good with their money over a long period of time. They don't have to hit a home run. Right? So without that knowledge, I just saw that, you know, there was more to life than what I had. I mean, I had a new car, but it was a Nissan Altima. No disrespect to anybody that drives Nissans. It just, you know, <laughs> you're young, you want a Ferrari or something, right? You don't want to, I don't know how many people grow up and say, I can't wait to buy an Altima someday, you know? And again, no disrespect to my Altima drivers. I'm just saying like. Um, Yo, that's my dream car. I believe it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. I, I hope you get it someday. <laughs> um, but. 
So in that moment, I was just a guy trying to figure life out, working every single weekend, every single holiday, slanging furniture, which was cool. You know, $5,000 a month at 26 is okay. I mean, it's not going to make you rich. Sure, but working every day doing all, that's not cool. Come on. Nobody wants to do that forever. It was horrible. It was horrible. You work every Saturday, every Sunday. And again, I was grateful to have a job, but I wanted more. Like that's one of my probably strengths and flaws is that the more I get, the more my ambition tells me there's more out there. So Mm, in that Chasing the next carrot. Yeah. But I didn't really think anything of it. I was just like, I know some people. I love helping people. I'll help this dude out. He's a nice dude. We work together. We go get cheeseburgers at lunch. So I'll help him. And then I made a hundred bucks, which a hundred bucks doesn't sound like a lot, but when you make 1200 a week. And, and wait, 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 just because we skipped an important part for people that haven't seen that video. Oh, what oh, this guy asked you oh, yeah, and who yeah. was he? Oh, yeah, yeah. His, his name was Dan. I don't remember his last name. But Dan said, you know, you're black. Do you know where I can get some drugs? And Dan said, you know, me and my girlfriend want to have a fun weekend and I need 10 ecstasy pills. And this was a white guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's super white. Um, Just I, clarifying. Yeah, I was like one of the most square dudes around probably. I didn't barely even drink, let alone do or know where to get drugs. But I knew some kids that smoked weed. So I was like, I can shake that tree and help this guy, like helping people. So I called a friend and he was able to actually help the guy. And on my lunch break, I made $100 and I'm super good at simple math, like really good. And I just thought, man, that's cooler than selling couches. You know, my friend, I go to his house, he's there in the middle of the day, hanging out. I got on a sweater vest you know, name tag. (laughs) And so at the time, it just seemed like a cool lifestyle, but I didn't know how to get back into it. And then sure enough, Dan asked a few more days later, and then a friend of Dan's asked, and that 10 turned into 100. And I really quickly realized like 100 is lucrative, and I get paid every Friday so I could buy my own 100. And if I took them out, because I then learned what the street value of these were, which I was paying $7 for a hundred, but they were $25 on the street. So I was like, if I can make $18 for every hundred, that's 1800 bucks I can make. It literally takes me a week and a half to make that much money, give or take, or I can do it on a Saturday. So I didn't sell couches much longer. I mean, it's hard to, it is hard to walk away from that. It is really hard to walk away from that. I mean, I, the only thing I can relate that to is I, like I bartended for six years, something like that in Boston. And you make, you know, six to 800 bucks on a Saturday bartending for six hours. Why would I ever not do that to go work at an office desk job to work my way up making $10 an hour? Right. Um, so I get it from that perspective but there's like this whole level of risk. And you said you were a pretty straight edge before. Yeah. Did you ever end up dabbling in what you were selling? Eventually, yeah. I mean, I'm a people pleaser, you know? I'm a people pleaser and I got Well, that's it. probably why you said yes to Dan to begin with. Oh yeah, yeah. Let, let me rephrase that. I was a people pleaser at 45. I'm a lot less apt to do something to please someone else if I don't want to. But, um, you know, then I got into other forms of substances that I sold. And I also, I mean, he says, I'm just going to say, I also have like throughout my life had an affinity for beautiful women. So 
if a pretty girl is like, hey, you should try this. I'd be like, you know what? I want you to like me. I'm going to try that. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. I was, you know, I partook and, but it was always like business to me. Like I'm a little bit of a cheap skate as well. So like giving something to someone for free in my mind, I'm like, Oh, that's $37. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was an interesting time of life. And I'd be lying if I said it wasn't fun. And most of my, you know, friends and peers were in the same life. And we just, we were just, living what we thought the American dream was, you know, doing cool stuff and having money. And, but eventually the retirement plan for that is prison or dead. And yeah, it's not so great. It's not a good outlook. Yeah, now so I have a, a, a couple questions. So, you tell me. okay. You grew up in Fort Collins. So I assume this is still happening in Colorado, right? Yeah. Where the population of black people, Fort Collins, I don't know. What did you say? 1%? 0.1%? Yeah, 0.1%. 0.1? Okay. Small. Small. (laughs) Who did you go to to get the drugs from? Uh, Various people. Various people. Yeah. I just, I knew people. Like, you know. Like, I guess what I'm asking is, because I feel like I remember you saying this, were these people white or were they black? No, no, they weren't white. They weren't white. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, no, there was a black kid, some Mexican kids. Um, yeah, no. no I, I guess what where I'm going is like, what do you think about the fact you said this changed your life, right? You were a straight edge before. Dan yeah. asked you this specifically because of the color of your skin and it changed your life forever. Yeah. You ended up getting into the system. Yeah. Kind of living the story that is told. Yeah. I, can I say another statistic? I know that's terrible, but like I was for sure. And there's some there's a lot of freaking layers to that, because here's this guy asking you and you said, yeah, I mean, can we get into the I mean, I'm like, which layer should we get into there? But how do you feel about all of that? Have you thought about I'm sure you thought about it. I don't think anything about him asking me that because I was in choice to say yes. You're not uh, him asking, but then all of a sudden becoming that living into that um that was just me choosing right that was me choosing that having that freedom was more important than working on columbus day you know having that freedom was more important than working until 8 p.m on fourth of july and missing that whole day with my children so the one thing i can say about the time that i was a drug dealer um i always knew what the end result was going to be and i was fully in choice on that. I was like, I used to tell my then girlfriend, one day I'm going to walk out the front door and I'm not going to come back. And when that happened. Really? So you always knew that? Oh yeah, I knew. Yeah. But what? there is no other option. You either quit, which who's going to quit making that much money or you go to jail or you, you die. In some I guess I just assumed that there was this invincible feeling that you must have. Of course. Yeah. I've had that my whole life though. You know, when you grow up, I mean, I lettered in five varsity sports in high school. I was all state and a few all conference and a few others. Like when you're great at things and you're the only one that looks like you, maybe there's two or three others. Like you spend your whole life with people patting you on the head and telling you how pretty you are. So after a while, you just believe that the rules don't apply to you. And then you go to college Hmm. where other people have to go to class. Your coach will walk you into a class and say he needs to take this test. The teacher will say, no, he hasn't been to class. And your coach will say, no, he's taking the test because he needs to be eligible for this game. And it further tells you that the rules do not apply to you. 
So if they didn't apply to me the majority of my life, why would they apply as an adult? So I'm going to do the things that I know other people are going to do and assume that it's not going to happen to me. But at a certain point, like reality kicks in and you think, okay, you're doing illegal things. Someday you're going to go to jail. So you have to either choose to stop or choose to accept that that's going to happen. Right? Yeah. Dang. And there's power in choice. There's power in choice. Of course there is. We don't get to choose what happens to us, but we get to choose how we react and respond. Yeah. Right? Um, well, okay. I am bringing up something else that I like really want to get into, which is the idea of sports and athletes. And you're talking about like role models and who to look up to, but something does happen when you become an athlete, even in high school, yeah. like, you know, the quarterback, you like kind of lose your humanity in a way, not lose it, but people look at you just as that athlete, as this like figurehead, this celebrity. Um, yeah. If you're a good athlete, if you're, which it sounds like you were. Yeah, exceptional. <laughs> um, I don't doubt it. So, I mean, and the, the topic of the conversation we're having today is like racism in America. How do you think that athlete, athletics, becoming a really good athlete, and that plays into a racism? You getting patted on the back, getting, you know, looked at in this way, all these, I mean, something happens when you become an athlete, no? Yeah, I guess, um, would you mind elaborating on the question just a little bit so I can make sure that I give you the right answer? Absolutely. I mean, okay. I think it goes into some people talk about color blindness, right? Like that that's a good thing. I don't see the color of your skin, which I honestly, I, I disagree. I think that there's beauty in all of our uniqueness and that's a huge yeah. part of it. But something happens when you become an athlete, if you're an exceptional athlete, like you said. Right. People don't look at you in the same way anymore. They just look at you as this athlete. Right. And all of a sudden, the color of your skin doesn't matter in the same way that it does otherwise. Yeah. Until you try to date their daughter. Huh. My uh, my interesting. I went to prom with the prom queen, but when I went to pick her up, her father said he did not approve of her going with me, so he made the whole family leave the house. And her mom stayed behind because she was like, I'm not doing that to my child, like, I'm gonna be here to take pictures and whatever else. So, it's, I mean, you see it in sports all the time, like, they want to cheer on Sunday and Saturday. Like, you, if you ask most card carrying racists who their favorite basketball player is, they'll still probably say Michael Jordan because he's not, he's not black. He's Michael Jordan. It, exactly. That was what I was trying to say. So, I mean, yeah, it, even to a more recent extent, being an ambassador for a company like Lululemon, it puts you in a different almost stratosphere with people to where you're not seen like the rest, quote unquote, which is okay. Um, if that's how people want to move, but I don't know. The first time I was called the N-word, I was 13 years old playing a football game in Wellington, Colorado. So I've been aware of this for a very long time. And playing sports in this small town doesn't change it. You know, it's not it's not Mayberry. It's not as great as people make it out to be. The racism's just a little quieter than it is in other places. Which I almost think is worse. No, because if somebody's a card-carrying racist, like outwardly spoken you can at least deal with it 
maybe acknowledge that there's an issue. You can at least respect it. Like for God, me, what a you statement know, you just made. Would, yeah, that sounds you weird said, to say, but can I elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, of course. I just was going to, I mean, if it has anything to do with, you were saying something in one of your things about um, to connect with someone is to love them or, or, or something like that. And you don't have to agree with someone to understand them. Yeah. And so I've said this my whole time. People would say something like, you know, well, what would you do if some person in the corner said the N-word? I'm like, I don't care. If they're not saying it to me, I don't care. If someone has the courage to say, this is how I was raised, this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it, I can't tell them that their reality is wrong. If I was raised in BFE, Mississippi, and I've never been around anyone other than people that look like me, so therefore I've been taught to dislike those people, Far be it from me, some black dude in Colorado, to tell you that you're wrong. That's your actual reality. Like, that's all you know, right? So I can't get mad at that person. As a matter of fact, I have to salute him at least for having the courage to just openly say it. Like my friend Bethany that I made friends with from the gas station, at least she openly said it. Like, my son's name is Arian. Me and my, son, me and my husband don't believe in mixing races. We don't believe in any of that stuff. Like, I have to respect that. It doesn't mean I have to like it but at least respect the courage as opposed to somebody that does it low key, but then, you know, post Candace Owens videos on their Facebook or the Hodge twins or whatever black face they want to use to say the things that they don't have the courage to actually say. Amen. So. Sorry, I wasn't cutting you off. Just agreeing with you. Keep going. Yeah. So, no. So that's what I mean when I say, you know, I at least have to respect it. Like live your truth, you know, be authentic to who you are. Just don't get in my way. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, yes. I mean, I think that part of the reason why I like having these conversations or why I'm having them, not necessarily why I like them, is is to show that, hey, we can talk about anything and actually have a conversation. It doesn't mean that we have to come to an agreement on anything, but we can at least hear each other out. And when you hear somebody else's perspective, it opens an entire new reality. And you're so right. Like, and it goes back to what I was saying in the meeting. It's a massive country that we live in. One state can feel like a completely different country. And we have to be willing to get into each other's worlds rather than just shove our truth down each other's throats. Um, But, okay, I get it. Right. Like we can respect that. Good for you. You have the balls for saying it. And I get that that might be the only reality and truth that, you know, got it. But what happens when somebody like Bethany tells you that they named their son Arian and cool, respect it. Got you, lady. Respect you for saying your truth. I cannot. I mean, you live in 2020. There is too much access to knowledge to say that that's your only perspective. Come on. How do you how do you have that? What do you do in that situation, Joe? Well, two things. There's access to knowledge if you're looking for it, right? True. I have zero desire to be an auto mechanic, but I could get on YouTube and learn some things if I wanted to. I just don't. So the knowledge is there and there's access to it. I just won't access it because it's not something that I'm interested in. Um, What what I asked when she said it was, I'm a big fan of asking clarifying questions so that I don't just assume that I know what you're talking about. Just like earlier, you know, 
can you please elaborate on that question? So when she said that, I said, do you mean like Aryan nation? She said, absolutely. And then she gave her little speech. And I said, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. That, that was my moment, right? That, that's our pivot point for she and I. If I immediately jump to, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. How could you? Like, you're racist, so on and so forth. In her mind, she's like, yeah, I literally just told you that. Like, you're surprised now. But instead, I approach with empathy, with trying to be understanding, and I just want to learn more. Yeah, you created a safe space. She could trust you Yeah, Bethany's in that moment. Bethany and I are going on a walk this week. Like, Bethany is my friend. So... I don't know. Um, I just don't want to. I just don't want it like us to be a monolith, and I think that's the problem. Is like we think everyone has to be the same, and every black person has to be the same, and so on and so forth, and every white person has to be the same. Like, if we try to understand, we might not like what we've learned, but at least we know. So I can't hate her for knowing that she's 24 years old. That's all she's ever known. Her, her and her husband believe that. Her husband's a strong influence in her life. Her mom is. This is the world she knows. She said, you're the first Black person I've ever actually known. At 24 years old, she's never even known a Black person. So I had the opportunity to either jump down her throat or to present myself the way that I always do as the best version of me and change her lens a little bit to the point where last month she was posting things in support of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and this is a girl who literally a year ago had never made friends with a black person before. So. Wow. I was going to ask you, when did you meet her? I met her last summer in June. And I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my assumption here is that your friendship did not form because you wanted to teach her and change her. No. I assume that your relationship formed because you wanted to get into her world and it sounds like she wanted to get into yours. Yeah, I just ended up in her world. She worked at the gas station by my house, so I was there a lot. And so it got to the point where she would message me on Instagram. Hey, I'm working today. Would you like to come over and I can take my break and we can chat? And we would just learn about each other's lives. And, you know, I don't know. I also, and I say this a lot and I mean it, I don't care how much of a racist you are. You're never going to meet Joe Buckner and think that I'm inferior to you. Nobody will ever think that when they meet me. I don't care who they are. There's not a single person on this planet that's going to think I'm inferior to them. So if you've lived your whole life believing that people that look like me are inferior and then you meet me, if you don't at least change your tune a little bit, I'll be shocked. <laughs> How do you do that, Joe? And why do you do that? I mean, I'm a phenomenal human being and I move through this world with power. I hold my head high, you know, like... I'm not ashamed and I live in, I mean, I'm just an authentic person in the fact that I own my good and my bad. So therefore I can move through the world with power. Like mm. I'm never, I'll never go around someone else and think they're better than me or I'm better than them. I'm just like this, we're both here sharing this space, but I also move through the world with big love, right? Yeah. I also move through the world with maybe an annoying sense of self-worth because my <laughs> self-love game is like next level. And that's hard for people sometimes because we know a lot of people struggle with self-love, but not me, not me. But I, I mean, you also exude unbelievable love. I mean, every note that you've sent me is like, with support, I got you. Right. And I can feel it from you and I never even met you. And right. I think, you know, I don't know. Do you know RuPaul? I know of RuPaul, yes. I haven't okay. followed RuPaul in a long time, but yes. 
Um, I'm obsessed with RuPaul. I have been since I was in high school. Um, watched every episode of Drag Race since season one. Yeah. Uh, anyway, his famous quote, he has many of them, but one of those, how can you love someone else if you can't love yourself first? Amen. And it's so true. It starts with us because when you fully love yourself, then you can show up fully for others. It's the most selfless thing you can do, actually. So keep at it, Joe. Like, but I want to know for somebody who might be watching this that has been told their whole life, well, I am supposed to be inferior or whatever. How do you start really believing that? I mean, when you were homeless for a couple of years, how did you believe I'm asking you this, not yeah. that I don't have tools, but like, I want to give tools to other people. How do you change the narrative? Being homeless wasn't that hard for me because I understood the situation that got me there. And I understood that I was the one that was going to get me out of it. It goes back to owning your shit. Like you were just talking about. hundred percent. I mean, I read something when I was 14 and I've never forgotten it. It was Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And that struck a chord with me because I'm, I immediately realized like, oh, I have to say it's okay for you to make me feel inferior. Meaning you can't make me feel anyway, unless I choose to feel that way. So even Amen. when I was young, I mean, I come from one of those families that was always 30 cents away from a quarter, too much month at the end of every little bit of money. And I never ever felt inferior to anybody because I'm, I'm different and I'm different in ways that maybe you're not different. So like, I've just never felt inferior to anyone. And maybe that's a bit of arrogance on my part, but I don't know. I don't think anyone's better than me and I don't think I'm better than them, but I know I'm special. But well, okay. That is the token. You see what I'm saying? I also know that they're special. and I'm. That's what I was going to say. I'm saying so. You said some, I mean, that's, that's the, that is the key is that, Everybody has their own beautiful gift to share. It's not about better than, worse than it, because how could I be? What I bring to the table is so different than what you bring to the table. That's the beauty of the human race, I think. Because I was going to ask you, well, can anybody have this attitude? And you just answered that question. But um, they don't, right? They don't, because we've been taught from a young age, like, don't talk about yourself. Don't say good things about yourself. Like, don't. You know, don't um, be boastful or whatever. So I know people that are the absolute best at what they do, and they'll still dumb it down to like, oh, well, you know, I'm probably a little bit okay at this. And I'm like, it's documented. You're the actual best at this. There's nothing <laughs> because you're not lying. Do you see what I'm yeah. saying? So I don't know. It's a vibe to just um, to know exactly who you are, to know that you're special, to recognize that other people are special, because then you can move through the world again with big love, with empathy. And um, I don't need anything from anybody. That gives me a lot of freedom. It's amazing. I mean, so many people think, oh, if I shine my light on you, like I give myself too much, then you're going to dim my light. No, it just makes the light grow stronger and brighter. Um, which, like, I love me enough for me and somebody else, probably for me and a whole room of people. So, you know, I think if more people could get to that point where they can literally look themselves in the mirror and just, start saying all the things they love about themselves that maybe they perceived as flaws before like that's where the real power comes from and then nobody can ever take that from you right so absolutely yeah. absolutely now speaking of like sp 
spreading this light or you have enough love to, to give, um, you know, you have this boxing, what would you call it? Studio boxing? Yeah, it's boxing fitness studio. Boxing yes. studio. Okay. And oh my gosh, I read the technical term for boxing. Plur, play. Pugilist. Pugilist. Okay. I was like, what is that? Um, I never knew. So, okay. It's an old term. The technical term. I like learning new words. I think language is really fascinating. So, okay. This boxing studio, you said that, um, what, what is your tagline about being a fighter? Fighting solves everything. Fighting solves everything. How do you, and, and, and when I watched your video and I read your story, I understood it, but just reading that line, it's like, wait a second. And then listening to who you are, this <laughs> loving and empathic person, that's your tagline though. Talk to me about that. And, and then especially like think about the looting, right. That and the riots that were so brought up as like this thing and your fighting solves everything. Yeah. Um, I just believe that at some point in life, life is going to take its shot at every single one of us, whether it's obesity, divorce, bankruptcy, you know, unplanned death of a loved one. Um, life is going to take its shot at all of us. My hope is that when that happens, the people understand that they have a fighter inside of them and they fight for themselves and for their family. So that's what I mean. I wanted to take a word that could be seen as negative and turn it into a positive to create an attitude and an ethos for my gym to where people in my gym fight and they fight for themselves. They fight for each other. They don't physically go out and fight, but I bet if it came down to it, they would fight for each other. More about <clears throat> taking a stand. It's just about understanding that I believe that given the option to fight or die, people will fight. And I think we're seeing that right now. You know, people are fighting. They're tired. They're done. Um, and so people are fighting. And I believe that if most of us backed into a corner are at least going to fight. You know, even going back to Elijah McClain, he was fighting. He was fighting the way he knew how with peace and love and kindness. And that's how he was fighting. You know, others fight different. So for me, I also believe that anything worth having in this life, you're going to have to fight for. If you want a great relationship, you better fight for it. If you want to be fit, you're going to Amen. have to fight for it. Amen. You know, if you want a PhD, you're going to have to fight for that. If be you a CEO. To work, you, if you want to be a CEO, you have to fight because it's hard, right? So I just feel I love, I have a lifelong love affair with words. And I really love taking words that people might see in a negative light and flipping them on their head into something positive that can inspire empower people i think inspires a little bit interesting but empower people to fight for what they want in this life well oh i like that because inspire and empower when when i say hear the word inspire it's like oh like i'm lit up like i'm excited right, right. but empower to me feels like i'm i'm gonna like action yeah. follows that for me which i think is the key which goes to something else you were saying. Okay, so anything in life is worth fighting for, for sure. I, mean, I And I completely get your statement. And are you going to be the kind of, what What do you want to stand for? What will you stand for at the end of the day? And right now, geez, there was ever a time to stand for something. Yeah. Um, and you said on one of your videos recently, like, what was the statement when you were, I think you had just gotten into boot camp or something, but 
how are you going to earn it? Or like, what are you going to do to get yours? Or what are you going to do for yours? Yeah. What are you going to do for yours? And, and you were saying, it's one thing to talk about it. One thing to read a book, you know, white fragility. I don't know if you're a white person right now. Yeah. What are you going to do to get yours? What are some things that people could do right now? Do you think that this is helpful? I think having real conversations is helpful. I think being open to understanding that maybe we don't have all the answers and maybe the thing that we thought was working so well wasn't working so great for everyone. I think that there's this really interesting conversation going on around privilege and people are offended to think that they have privilege. But I made a video talking about the fact that I have privilege. I grew up in Fort Collins, Colorado. I didn't grow up around rampant crime and police brutality. And, you know, even though I, my family was poor, my friends' parents were judges and doctors and attorneys. And like, that's the life I saw every day. So, you know, while it wasn't in my home, I realized that it was a thing. And I, that gives me a certain amount of privilege. Um, Growing up here and being a decorated athlete and people treating you different gave me a certain amount of privilege. So I think that just being, I don't have the answers and I don't want to give people the answers because I'm never going to proclaim to be some kind of know-it-all. I just know what works in my life is being willing to have tough conversations with people, being willing to actually listen. I see this happen a lot. You know, someone will say something, whether it's in a social media bullcrap argument or whatever. And the immediate response is, let me prove them wrong. Let me prove you wrong. And I just think that there's challenges in that. Even if they are wrong, I mean, when's the last time you changed somebody's religion by telling them things that were factual that might be contrarian to that, right? Right. I mean, I don't remember the last time I saw somebody's opinion change because someone was giving them actual real facts behind a keyboard. So... I don't know. I just think the more hard conversations we're willing to have, the better off we'll be, the more empathy we can move with. But also, I don't know, racism's not going anywhere. It's never going to go away. For every five people that want it to go away, there's five that don't. So hopefully maybe we can get to like Germany one day where, you know, the racists are quieter than everyone else. But right now we all have the same kind of voice. But it's not going anywhere. It's literally not. Well, now, but now you're saying interesting things. I'm saying real things. You, uh, I'm not saying that you're not saying real things. I'm saying you're saying interesting things because we were talking a couple minutes ago about how when some like you respect somebody. Well, I guess you're not saying different things. I was using the word interesting because I was thinking you're saying, well, maybe we'll get to Germany where the people are quieter, but then you can't deal with it. Do we want it? I don't know. It's like, what, what is that really good? Like I use this rock climbing analogy with my clients a lot. You know, I do a lot of coaching and I say, you know, great rock climbers focus on the three feet around them because that's what they can touch. That's what they can navigate. There's no point in them looking to the top because they're not there yet. Racism isn't going anywhere. So what am I supposed to do? Like try to eradicate something that's never going anywhere. It's been around for hundreds of years. And we can have all the great conversations we want. And I can be the shining example of a man that I want. There's still going to be people that hate me because of the way I look. It doesn't matter. So racism isn't going anywhere. It's just not going to stop me from doing anything. And that's my big message right now that I'm sharing on my Instagram and things. It's like, you have to decide. Like, I can 
piss and moan about racism or I can just keep doing my thing because like, nobody's going to stop me from getting anywhere. And you can be as racist as you want. Just don't get in my way. So I don't know. I don't have any answers. And I, I saw someone typed in a question like for me to give, you know, say, what can white people do? Like, I don't need anyone to do anything, honestly. Like, I'm going to do me. I want you to do you. Just be good people and don't get in my way. I haven't seen any questions come in. I was trying to look, but I'm listening to you. Have there been questions that come in? Uh, yeah, there was one. Yeah, there was one. It was a. Oh, uh, I'm sorry if anyone asked. I can't uh, see. Um, okay, she, so, she wrote some cool stuff, but I don't know. I don't have the. I don't have the answers, and I don't want to pretend that I have the answers. Well, like no, said, and to think that you could have the answers for an entire population is crazy too. Like, yeah, there's just no way. With love with empathy, and you know, just. Be as racist as you want. Just don't get in my way and we'll be okay. Come on. That is not really the message that you want to share, is it? It's not not the message because I'm not a victim. I'm a victor, right? So I know that racism is so real and it affects so many people. But what is Joe Buckner going to do about his lot in life? I don't need... And please take this with the love that I mean with. I don't need white people to save me. I don't need white people to save my black friends. My black friends are educated men, successful men and women. Like, I don't need anyone to save us. But I'd like people to not get in the way of us chasing after our piece of the American pie. Hell, I don't even mm. want equality. I want equity. I don't need you to see me as equal. Just don't stop me from having, you know, a piece of the pie. As a matter of fact, I don't even want a piece of the pie. I want the recipe. You know, you got to think back in 1958, in some place in this country, black people couldn't even get a mortgage. That wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't that long ago. So I don't know. I'm just not going to belabor the racism thing, because like I said, it's not going anywhere. And for every 10 people that wanted to go somewhere, there's 10 that don't. So we're constantly going to be running on a treadmill. We're going to get tired and sweaty and out of breath. But when we get off, we're not going to have gone anywhere, you know? Hmm. So, um, I don't know. I don't have the answers for that. I appreciate your honesty, really. Um, and I think that from my perspective, it's why I'm having these conversations is more about the latter part of what you're saying, because in order to give the recipe right and get out of the way, we have to dismantle the systems. It's really the only way, truly. Um, and that's not about get, getting rid of racism. I don't know if you've heard of the book, so you want to talk about race, but one of the things the author says is like, it's not about getting white people to like black people, you know, getting rid of that like overt racism because that won't actually change the systems. It won't actually hand you the recipe. Um, right. So how do we actually do that? That's part of why like I'm having these conversations. Right. I don't know how to do that no, because I think it takes imagining a whole new world. Think about this though, like, and yeah, we're not, I'm not even talking about overt racism. How often do you think when someone applies to be a police officer or a district attorney or a mortgage officer that they write on their application, oh, by the way, I hate black people. Like it's quiet, right? They just yeah. get into their job and they bring, we all do this. We all bring our already, you know, set opinions and biases about things to every job that we do. So that judge, has a son or a daughter. They have sons or daughters. They have sons or daughters. Like that message just gets passed along. Like they're inferior, they're not the same, they're not. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that black people were still two thirds of a person. So 
I don't know. Like, I just am not, I don't want to focus on something that I can't fix or change. And even that system, we would have to get into positions of power to change it. And so we can say we're going to vote. And then you look at Louisville and they take, you know, all these voting places and change it to a handful to try to make it hard for people to vote. Like the people that are making the rules aren't playing the same game that we're playing. They're not playing it fair. So while it would be great to dismantle the system, like how? Like none of us has the power to do that. Like we don't have the prestige, the power, the money. And the people that want it this way have a lot more sway than we do right now. So without like total like revolution, which is possible, right? I mean, how do we <laughs> if do there that? was a time, I think it's now that could yeah, be possible. It's definitely probably now. I just I just don't know how we're going to do it, because have you ever seen the documentary? Um, it's called um, Park Avenue, Money, Power in the American Dream. Nope, <laughs> but I can write it down and watch. it. I love a good documentary. Phenomenal. Park they Avenue. About, yeah, they talk about Park Avenue in New York and they talk about the fact that in a certain part of Park Avenue is like one of the wealthiest blocks and buildings in the country. You know, all billionaires live in this building, but you can go a few miles down the road and it's one of the poorest in the Bronx, right? And so the guy doing the documentary did an experiment with, you know, kids and people just various ages and they played Monopoly. What he didn't tell them was that at the beginning of the game, one person had double the money you're supposed to have and one had half. What he didn't tell them was that the person that had double the money, every time they passed go, they were actually getting $400 and the other person was getting zero. And he did it to find out what would happen when he revealed, hey, this is actually what's happening. You've had an incredible advantage during this game. Let's keep playing. What he found out was the people that had the advantage, not a single one of them tried to help the other person. As a matter of fact, they tried to beat them even worse. So if that's where we're at, if that's the mentality of like, if I have more than you, I'm not going to pull you up. I'm actually going to try to crush you. And that's the society that we live in. Like, how do we go about dismantling a system that's run by people that have more than I don't know. That's one focusing on being the best in our little corner of the world and raising children who move with big love and empathy, moving with big love and empathy ourselves and just doing the best that we can to create change in our space. Right. Small hinges swing big doors. And I think people forget that. Oh, yes. You know what I'm saying? I think people forget that. So absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's the conversation that I've really been having, I would say, in the last week of this realization that like really struck me. And I don't know how I don't know what how we can do it. But if we're really going to to do to, to really dismantle white supremacy, it literally means that white people have to be willing to give up privilege. And I don't really know many people that are. I mean, you can see it in the fact that like, oh, I'm uncomfortable for a week, so I need to go on vacation yeah. and go camping for the weekend. Yeah. Something that simple. So, oh man, like on the one hand, I'm like, fuck Joe, like <laughs> maybe you're right. On the other hand, I am still left with a lot of inspiration and hope because Small hinges do swing big doors. And at the end of the day, we're all energy. We're all made of the same shit. We're all vibrating frequencies. And the more love that we pass, the more we give to others. And it does spread. And, yeah. and, and it goes back to like, you know, there certainly are some people that do have a seat at those tables that could make changes to the system that we're talking about. But it isn't necessarily all of us, not even close. So yeah. what is your gift? that you could really focus in on 
and do something about and bring to the world, which I feel is what you're saying, like in my corner. And for you, clearly it's athleticism and sports and bringing a sense of like strength and pride and standing up for something through all of that and love and empathy. Yeah. Yeah, that was then, you know, I'm old now, so I'm not. Please, you're not old. You're not even half a century. Come on. I just, you know, I focus on teaching people to fight for themselves, right? That equity piece, it matters. And the more that we can get, the more then we can. I mean, we have to admit in our country, money talks, BS runs a marathon, right? You can write a thousand letters or you can. My my friends are a great example of this. Oh my God, you've got some great lines. What was that? Money talks, BS runs a marathon. Yeah, that's from that's from New Jack City. It's an old movie. Wesley Snipes says that in uh, the beginning of New Jack City. Like that's Trump in a nutshell. Right. Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, but it's it matters, right? But I have friends who wanted to make change in the oil and gas industry, and they knew that it would be tough for them to get a meeting with the governor, so they donated a bunch of money, right? The, the thought process being, well, if I give you hundred grand, you're going to meet with me, right? If I write a hundred thousand letters, you might meet me, you might not. But if I put a hundred thousand dollars in your election fund, your campaign fund, there's a good chance you're going to meet with me, right? So I just feel that the people that want it the way it is are playing a different game than the rest of us. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that not from a defeatist standpoint, from a, I have to control the things that I can control. And the more I worry about what other people are doing and trying to create this idea in my head that people are trying to stop me from doing something, the less I'll actually try to do. Or every single day, I'm gonna be the best Joe Buckner I can be. I'm gonna raise the best kids that I can raise. I'm gonna teach them to love other people and not judge people based on how they look. Each one is gonna teach one. And hopefully that message continues on. And the more of us that do that, like at least maybe we can get to a point of understanding and not, you know, trying to hurt each other. But when it's all said and done, I just don't think that it's dynamic, right? And every time we want to move the chains, like they just move the goalposts. So I don't, I mean, I don't I th- want to spend my time trying to figure out how to do that big gigantic thing. I want to make the small changes in my area, working with kids, doing those types of things to kind of help send less kids to prison, you know? Well, it's a ripple effect. In the parent homes and yeah, exactly, so. It cannot be, I mean. That's what I meant in terms of like, you know, small hinges swing big doors. For sure. I mean, we and had I mean, I think that like that much change for us, you know? <laughs> um, I think that, yeah, I mean, we impact one life, they impact another. It keeps going. Don't get overwhelmed by like, oh, I have to change this whole big thing. Um, oh, there was something like that I really wanted to say, and it is gone, and I hope it comes back to me. Um, I'm, we're going to wrap up here, um, so I'm really hoping that this comes back while I give you an opportunity. You know, you said yes to talking to me. Oh, we were strangers. Yeah. Now, now that we've talked, I'm like, I kind of know why you said yes, but I would love to like give you an opportunity First of all, like, why did you say yes to having this conversation? And second of all, is there any message that we haven't already talked about or shared that you really want to make sure you get to share with the people that might be listening to this? Um, I said yes, number one, because I think these are interesting conversations to have. I'm always humbled. Uh, I, I want to say this with humility, but be real. Like, I get a lot of these requests. The connection to Mike Adela was a big part of that because Mike is someone that I respect immensely. 
And so if you're even connected to him in any way, shape or form, it's gonna be hard to get a no out of me. So um, shout out to Micah Dela. And then just the way that you approached it as well, you know, a lot of people bring these conversations to me and they wanna debate or I'm just, I'm not here for that, but I'm always here for like open, cool conversation just to see what people are about. So your approach really helped because again, I field a lot of these. I mean, last week alone, there was probably 15 of them. So, um, and that's not like, oh, I'm so cool. It's just, you know, people want to talk. Oh, wow, so, thank you. I had no idea. Thank yeah. you. So, um, but moreover, one of the things that I've been talking about a lot is just like black people are one of the people in this country that have no economic base. So how can I use my platform as business owner, as someone who's trying to start businesses, who wants to work with other black people to start to establish that? You know, my children are, granted they're in school now, but they both owned their own businesses at times and they're 24 and 20. And they Hell yes. that, right? Like, I want to see where the other black banks are. I shared something on my Instagram today about the 2% rule, like where are the black banks so we can invest into that? Like where are the other black business owners so I can use my resources in my community and other communities to help them build their own dream, be homeowners, be equity again is the thing, right? And a lot of wealth comes from that. So if we don't have that, we're always gonna be running from behind. So right now that's where I wanna focus my time and attention. My Instagram is going that way. My TikTok is on equity because again, I don't want a piece of the pie. I want the recipe. I'll make my own pie. Just don't get in the way of me in the kitchen. Yeah. I want to bring everyone along with me on that journey. So that's really what I'm going to do to help is try to empower people to become owners of things. I don't care if you own a mobile home, get started there and work your way up. You know, I home love that. And keep so. money in the community. Pay attention to where you're spending your dollar. Yeah. Amen. I don't know if you saw the thing with Killer Mike about trying yes. to live black for three days, it's almost impossible. So like yeah. pay attention to it, where your dollar goes and that will have a ripple effect too. We'll have more ownership mm -hmm. handing over the recipe. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great mission. I remembered what I was gonna talk to you about though. Really. Yeah. Um, so I was so blown away and I really understood what you were talking about when you got out of that boot camp. Um, or I don't remember if it was out of boot camp or out of DOC, and you said, send me to a halfway house. You can't just yeah. send me out there with all this structure that I have and out there and like I was studying criminology. I mean, our prison system, or, it's not set up for rehabilitation. It's no. set up so you go right back. And I mean, it's privatized, right? They can't make money unless you keep going back. Yeah. And you said, no, I still need a little bit more structure. You knew that about yourself. You spoke up for what you needed and didn't let the system dictate what your life was going to be. You did that in that moment. You took, made a choice and worked within the system, which I feel like is going back to what you were just talking about previous, like racism isn't going anywhere. Figure out how you can just get out of my way and like make it work for me. Yeah. Kind of what you did in that moment. Is there anything you can say about imparting that on somebody else? Like, how do you, how did you even know, how do you get in touch with yourself so much to even know that and to, to, to speak up for yourself? I think again, it goes back to knowing yourself. Right. And that's one of my superpowers is I know all the great things about Joe Buckner and I know all the crap things about Joe Buckner and I embrace all of them. And I knew that if they put me out on probation, it would only be a matter of months before I was back in jail. You know, I wasn't ready for that kind of freedom. 
I think that's a part of the game, right? Like, hey, we're going to give you just enough rope to hang yourself and we'll see you back in a few. I'd also made a promise to myself that I was never going to go back to that place ever. And not in a, I'll go out in a blaze of glory before I go back in a, I'm going to become the kind of man that won't go back to that place. So I'm not going to do antisocial things. I'm not going to, you know, break the law. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to never go back. So for me, that decision was easy. Also, you know, full transparency, I was going to be homeless. So a halfway house was at least a place to sleep. If I was homeless, I was going to be desperate. Money's not the root of all evil. Poverty is the root of all evil. Because when you don't have, when you lack, then you're constantly trying to find ways to get, right? In my personal opinion, I'm not an expert. Yeah, and you'll so do anything. Come on. You'll do anything to not be homeless. You'll do anything to not go hungry. So if and I anybody was, that's sitting there judging, that's sitting in their nice, cozy home saying, no, you wouldn't. You ask a friend. No, put yourself yeah. in that position. You do anything, especially if you have kids or someone yeah. else to be responsible for. Are you kidding me? Yeah, those were the same people mad that business owners wanted to go back to work. Like, <laughs> right. So, you know, if you've never had to wait until Tuesday to eat because you don't get paid until Tuesday, like, I don't want to hear it. Right. So um, that was that was an easy decision for me, because honestly, I knew if I was homeless, I was going to make the easy choices to get money in my pocket so that I didn't have to be homeless anymore. And I didn't want to go back to that place ever again, because it's honestly not a great place. And you're correct. The prison system as it is now is not set up to rehabilitate criminals. It's set up to warehouse them. And so I didn't want to be. And, and breed them, you could almost say. I mean, solitary Absolutely. confinement, come on. Yeah. You're literally breeding somebody to not be able to live in society. Absolutely. Yeah. I have two cousins that each spent more than 10 years in solitary confinement. And it was, I mean, one of them's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. And he got out for like three months. He's never, he's never going to be free again. So. Um, Sorry for my reaction. I can't hide my emotions. I'm no, 10 it's, years it's, in solitary. He was in there for 12. And the other one was 17. Cause he was a kid when he got sent up. So Holy shit. I him. Yeah. So, you know, it's crazy because the, you, uh, do you know the Khalif Browder story? Mm -hmm. Like you, well, I watched, I, I read about it. I watched that and I'm like, I mean, it is painful to watch, but I think it's really important to watch. And thinking like, okay, this is one of how many stories. And I know that like conceptually, but I don't want to believe it's true. And then I hear you and you're one person out of how many that might know somebody. And I mean, yeah. how, how old were they when they went in? Um, the, both of them were right around 18. Oh, one was just, 19. Yeah. Just at that fucking age, just at that cusp. Yeah, I remember my one cousin got out. He was like, I've never driven a car. I've never danced with a girl. He's like, I don't I don't know how to be out here. And I was yeah, like, how do you be? How do you be? I get it. Oh. I get it. Okay, well, I want to be respectful of your time. I'm like, there's yeah, so many things. Yeah, it's yeah. so hard. I could talk to you for a while, Joe. Um, hopefully, we'll get to meet. Maybe I'll come back a little bit. Say so, less, yeah. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say or share while we have the opportunity to have you um, on this particular platform? Um, no, I can't think of anything. I think we did a good job of covering everything. Plus, I don't know, I think people hear me talk a lot. So <laughs> no, Thank I just you. think like, let's, let's, you know, let's not be afraid to acknowledge the privileges that we do have. And instead of being ashamed of them, let's see how we can use them to help other people. 
I think that's the big thing, right? I don't want anyone to apologize for their privilege, but maybe acknowledge it and say, now, how can I use this to, and it doesn't just have to be a black person. It can be a trans person. It can be a gay person. It can be a Latino person. It can be a poor white person. If you're a wealthy white person, just help someone else. And the more of us that are actually out there loving and helping people, I think the better place this country is going to be eventually. I mean, and defund the police. <laughs> side note, except not a side note in any kind of way. Um, <laughs> Joe, just thank you so much. I appreciate the stand that you take, the fight that you have for love, for compassion, um, for taking a stand for who you are. What is your gift? Find it out, people, if you're listening to this and share it with the world and don't let bullshit anything get in your way. Because Amen. if you know it, then you can work towards it. But find that out and then spread the love and joy. Um, just thank you, Joe. It was so, so wonderful speaking with you. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the One World, Your Story podcast. If you enjoyed hearing this story and you wish to hear more, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube. And of course, follow us on Instagram at One World, Your Story. From all of us here at the One World Your Story podcast, we are sending you so much joy and love. Have a wonderful rest of your day.